Hi folks, Jean here and welcome to another episode, our first of the year, of Have You Ever Read? I hope you had a restful break over the festive season. I'm going to get right into it. I'm so happy about today's book choice. I think it's the perfect book to get your hands on at the start of a new year. Today, I'm speaking to my friend Jeremy about the classic, The Practice of the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. To be honest, the title is self-explanatory. If you have a plan, vision, dream, New Year's resolution or goal to get closer to God this year, then this short book is just for you. I'm going to stop speaking now so that you can enjoy today's episode of Have You Ever Read? The Practice of the Presence of God with my friend Jeremy Saki. Hi Jeremy, thank you so much for joining us today on Have You Ever Read? Before we speak Actually, maybe I should ask you to introduce yourself. What's your name? Who are you? <laughs> and where are you from? <laughs> Hi, Jean. Thank you for having me. My name is Jeremy, Jeremy Saki. I am from Ghana. Okay. I was born and raised in Accra, Ghana. That's West Africa, for those okay. who don't know where I Ghana feel, is. I feel you might be the first African that I've had on a podcast, which is interesting because I know a lot of Africans. Anyway... Let's not digress too much. Um, what book are I feel, you? I feel honoured. <laughs> <laughs> what book do you want to uh, talk about today, and why? Okay, so the book I chose was the practice of the presence of God, and this is a book by Brother Lawrence. I believe it was written in the 17th century. Yeah. Why did I pick this book? Um, I feel that there are very few books that I can point to that have had a transformative effect on my life and I've read I've read a number of books and I think there's just maybe about three or four different books that have really truly transformed me transformed the way I think transformed my life in in different ways and this is definitely one of those books so when I was thinking of, of what book to go with it was it was definitely one of one of an easy choice okay and, it was and an easy choice yeah actually when you told me about this book i i was happy for two reasons one what i wanted to try and do in this podcast was to connect the global church right you come from a charismatic mm. pentecostal non-denominational right. background however that wing of the church more evangelical and the book that you've um mm-hmm. chosen is obviously as you said from the 17th century but it's also from a catholic tradition and that is one of the things that I really am keen to kind of get the global church to connect and for us to, um, what's the word I'm looking for, major on our similarities, learn from one another instead of our differences, which is unfortunately so often the case. So I'm really glad that you chose this book. Um, mm. And also another thing I like about these kind of um, old yeah. books, I don't think I like, sorry. <laughs> the second reason um, I was happy is, one of the things that I like about old books, Jeremy, I don't know if this has happened to you, is they remove this kind of um this this situation or I don't know how to phrase it, um, this um delusion that we have about the time that we're in. So we often assume that things are always done the same way because that's how we've done them. But actually, when you read books from the past, you're I think you're able to see more about where the like um what's the word? traditions and culture comes in rather than what is actually biblical so I was really happy for you to um, choose Mm. this book 
Anywho, before mm-hmm. no, we... Like, yeah, I'll, no, I'll no, respond sorry. to both. Go, me... go for it. Speak, speak, speak. Sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um. So uh, the first thing you said about... What was, it? what was the first thing you said? Global church. Why you were happy? Yeah, global church. First... Global church. Global church, yes. Yeah. Good, good, good. Yes. So the first thing you said, what I'll say to that is, yeah, I've always believed that the things that unite us are much stronger yeah. than the things that seem to divide us. Um, when you look at the things that the beliefs that we hold in common across the different denominations, um, you realize that the gravity of those beliefs far outweighs the divides that we have put up. Yeah, totally agree. So that's that's to that comment about the globe the global church. And then to the comments about old books. Yeah, I have I share the same sentiment. When you see what Christianity and different topics under Christianity looked like in those times, you get to see what the context was mm-hmm. long before the influences of culture yeah. and modernization. Yeah. And media had or exerted their effect on faith and media. Yeah. So we see it's I think it's more raw, I think. And and sometimes I think raw means pure in a in a certain sense. Um That's and, I, and I think it's that purity that 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 appeals to me from the old books. And as we discuss the books, I'm sure our listeners will also agree about the rawness and purity of the book. Yeah, definitely. Um, so before we dive into the book, let's talk a little bit about how we know each other. So do you want to tell the audience how you and I met um, and a little bit more about the type of church you go to and your walk with Christ? Actually, that's three questions in one. Let's start with <laughs> how yeah. do we know each other? <laughs> mm, okay, yeah, that's the easiest one, yeah. Okay, so belonged to the same church. Um, grew up in the same church. You in England, I was in the, the the same church, but a different branch in in Accra, and we had all these kinds of conferences and camp meetings that uh, would allow us to meet every now and then. I think the first time I remember actually meeting you was in England. I think we had a camp meeting in England, and and I was privileged to join the the group attending the camp, and yeah. And I think you you were you were a musician there playing the guitar, singing part of the worship team. Let's, let's leave that and, for yeah. now, Jeremy. Let's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, and that was we've known each other for a while, maybe fifteen years, right? Yes, yeah, a long time. Yeah, maybe more. Yeah, potentially more. Yeah. Mm. All right, cool. So. Yeah. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your faith story? So you um, said we grew up in this church together, but what does that actually mean? So my parents, my parents are pastors. Um, a pastor's kid, PK. Um, PK number three. And they were very, and are still, <laughs> wow. Yeah. Very, very um, involved in the church. Um, and as you can imagine, the story is like with almost every other pastor's kid, you're, you're, brought up in this environment and there's all sorts of pressure to be involved in ministry and it's all you know as a kid really so you don't even know that there's that pressure exists you just feel that that's the the way life is and that's what you're supposed to be doing so I grew up very much under those kinds of um, influences and they helped they helped my Christian life to a very large extent 
And obviously there are things and I, I got to a time where I had to learn some things and learn the differences between what I want to believing and what I had chosen to believe. So that brings me to a bit of my faith story. Being surrounded by preaching the gospel, I'm sure just like other pastors' kids, I've said that sinner's prayer countless times. <laughs> um, the first time I remember actually giving my life to Christ by saying those words, um, I think I was about five years old and it was at a crusade that my dad was preaching at. I don't think I've ever even told him this, but oh, wow. yeah, I remember walking up and then um, walking up and when he, during the altar call and giving my life to Christ, I think I was about five years old. And then I remember another time, I think I was about eight years old and this was during an evening service, a youth service. And someone that I really looked up to responded to the altar call and out of the emotion that I felt by seeing someone that I really admired, <laughs> And I'll tell you who it is, not on the podcast, but, I'm, <laughs> but you're going to laugh harder if you knew who it was. Um, <laughs> so he walked up, so he walked up to the front, he responded to the auto call. And um, I just followed because I felt very, very emotional. Yeah. And then, yeah, so there were times, time and again, I've, I've said those, those, those words, I've prayed those prayers and not to say that I never really meant them, but I think the way I think my belief has been um, shaped over the years and the things that I believed as a child mean more to me and the um, are more nuanced in their meanings and in the application to my life. It's no okay. longer just a general, a general sense of this is what the Bible says. This is what you believe. It's now become a more personalized experience. And I say that to say that, I can say I gave my life to Christ when I'm five years old, when I was five years old, but I think there were different points where my salvation became realer to me. So I have a question for you before we dive into the book. What would you say or advice to a pastor's kid who, <laughs> like you, has grown up in the routine of it all? It's not that they don't believe, because they do believe in in the gospel mm -hmm. of Jesus Christ, but they are not entirely sure where the routine ends and the genuine belief slash relationship with Christ begins. So do you have any words of encouragement or wisdom for people that are struggling with that blurred line and at the point potentially where they're thinking, is this really me? Like, what, what is this? Um, okay, so this the answer to this question can be a podcast episode on its own. I'm sure you know that, but... <laughs> Essentially, if there's one thing I could say to someone like that, I'll say, tune out all the noise and focus on Jesus. Mm. Um, I'll tell them to forget what anyone has told you about Jesus and learn about Jesus from Jesus. Open your Bible. What does the Bible say? What does the Holy Spirit tell you? Learn to listen to his voice. Learn to relate with him. And that Jesus you know in your bedroom should be realer to you than the Jesus anyone else preaches to you. Wow. Steep. I mean, and I think just just in case anyone out there is is wondering whether what you're saying is biblical, I think in Hebrews chapter 12, right, 
uh, we're encouraged to fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. And you're right. I found, I found that for myself that as soon as you take your gaze off of Jesus and start thinking about other things, there's all kinds of distractions. So I think that's good piece of good, a good piece of advice, not just for the pastors, kids that we just um, advised, but for anyone, generally speaking, right. Just to focus. Yeah. And, 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 I think there's a particular, sorry, I think there's a particular danger when it comes to pastors and pastors' kids, mm-hmm. because there there are a lot of distractions. And one thing people don't realize can be a major distraction is ministry, or what we call ministry. The work that we're used to doing for God may distract you from God. You may get attached to the work because your emotions are attached, your you're taught that this is the way things are supposed to be. This is what success looks like. This is what tree looks like. And that becomes your focus and you forget about the person of Jesus. And, and I think that's a particular danger because you do not expect that you'll be distracted by ministry. But then that it can actually ministry can actually take you away from God. And that is a nice segue into the book, right? <laughs> it is. It is. It is. <laughs> So um, you mentioned at the start, um, just to remind our, um, the listeners about what's going on, we're talking about the practice of the presence of God by um, Brother Lawrence. Um, you mentioned that it's one of the three books that has had the biggest impact on your on your life. Do you want to first tell us what the book is about um, before we get into why it's had that impact on you? Okay. The book, The Practice of the Presence of God, is really, you have to understand that Brother Lawrence didn't write this book. And he probably would be very embarrassed and disappointed to know that this book has been published. I think it's in the book. He says um, that. I obviously, I don't know that. if those. <laughs> yeah. He says that in the book. <laughs> I, I, don't know, I don't know if those emotions are available in heaven, but <laughs> he would be very, he would be very unhappy to know that the private conversations and letters that he he engaged in were published into a book. So that is to say that the book wasn't a preaching message. It wasn't, there was nothing about the book that was intended to, to be didactic in a general sense. He was just having conversations just, just and didactic. those conversations didactic for people that may not know teaching as as in teachable or mm. used for teaching used for teaching exactly yeah. he didn't try to yeah he was just having conversations very genuine authentic conversations and by like actual verbal conversations that were recorded and then letters as well and people were asking him questions about something he had been doing a a way of living that he had been part of and he he was explaining this way of living and this way of life this christian way of life to those people and this way of life is the practice of the presence of god and it's weird because and this is one reason why this book is really special to me is because it's something that can be applied immediately it's very practical um and it's something that and it's you know, there are very few books and very few things that in generally in Christianity that presented a novelty or a new way of looking at scripture or a new way of, of understanding scripture or your relationship with God. And this was one of those foundational books. That's also why it's also transformative. So the book is about practicing the presence of God 
building an awareness and a sense of God's presence with you at all times. So just to really is. So just to go back to um exactly what Jeremy said is what it is, but just in case um people are a bit lost. So as Jeremy said, this is not a book that was written by Brother Lawrence. Um, it was that people, two people in particular, felt that one, the conversations that they had with Brother Lawrence should be recorded. So the first section of the book is conversations with Brother Lawrence. And you get, I think there are about six or seven different conversations. And the um the 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 structure is Brother Lawrence told us that X, Y, and Z, that X, Y, and um, A, B, C, D. That's how the, the all this, the conversation section goes. And then for the letters, these are personal correspondences that Brother Lawrence has had with random people, some clergy, some, well, actually, let me just say they're all clergy. That's the impression that I get. But then he sometimes makes reference yeah. to people who are not clergy, but the names are uh, removed from, from the book. And as I said earlier, Brother Lawrence actually says in one of the letters, I'm writing to this to you personally. And if I knew that other people were going to read this, I actually wouldn't <laughs> write this this way. So I think you get kind of real honesty about how he's living his life. You know, it's very genuine. It's not fake. Now, Jeremy, when we say practicing the presence of God, do you want to explain to the audience what Brother Lawrence actually means by this? Because for me, this was the game changer, what, what it actually mm-hmm. means. So I'll leave that to you to yeah. talk about <laughs> Okay, so before I say that, I'll I'll describe to you how Brother Lawrence came to know God, because I think it's a major part of the book and his calling and um, why this was a major part of his life. This is a man, now imagine this, it's a man, he's a man who was looking at a tree in the wintertime, and then all the leaves were, had been shed off, there was just branches essentially. He was staring at the tree and it occurred to him that in a few months, this tree that looks so dead would have leaves and then colored leaves. And then but with that thought came a sudden awareness of God. Yeah. And that was how he was converted. Yeah. So right from his conversion, he had experienced a certain reality of God. So the practice of the presence of God which became the way he lived for over 30 years, speaks to the stability of this method of life, a way of life, is being aware of God being with you at all times and in you at all times. And I don't mean it in a very um a very theoretical sense. Yeah. It's not everything. I mean it's in a very practical yeah. sense at all. Yeah. And he even talks about he makes a statement in the book that how would a friend who visited you feel if you neglected him? Yeah. So why do we neglect God who is always with us at all times? Which I feel it's something that was very new to me to sit down and just suddenly be aware that I'm not alone in this room, that God is actually here. To be walking in a grocery store or outside on the street and just building that constant awareness that I am not alone. There's actually someone walking with me. And as often as he is with me, he is also in me. I cannot get away from him. And I think it's very, even even though he doesn't directly quote scripture, it's very scriptural. Paul talks about God. He says that we should feel after him 
though he be not far from every one of us. Yeah. Those are the words of Paul. Jesus was talking to his disciples and he told them that all of them were going to leave him, but he wasn't alone, that the father was with him. What did he mean by that? David said that I have set the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand, I shall not be moved. There was any, there's another part of the Psalms. David said, I am continually with thee. Thou was holding me by my right hand. Throughout the scriptures, you see there were people who were constantly aware, constantly conscious of the person of Jesus or the person of God being with them in that very same space at all times. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you've, you've said a lot. I mean, that's basically the book, right? That's he's just going through bit by bit describing how he practices the presence of God. But I think for me, what was the game? Well, well, he says a lot of game changing sentences and I'm going to try and drop some in as we, as we, as we talk about the book, but one of the, the, well, it's all derived on the fact that brother Lawrence had a desire to communion with, to have communion with God. That's the foundation of it all. And he says that a lot of the time we get distracted because we're looking for the gifts rather than the giver. So fundamentally Mm. we're supposed to be desiring communion with God. But then where where the game-changing piece for me was when he said, for him, his prayer life has no difference to his everyday life. So he doesn't feel that he needs to separate himself to go and pray to be with God. In fact, no. he, he for him it's the same. Literally, I pray, I'm with God. I'm washing the dishes, I'm with God. There is no difference. And his whole you know, life is focused on just God. It's it's yeah. I don't know, it's hard to describe. You have to read it to understand yeah. you have to, you what, have to. what's going no, on. No, no, Gene, to 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 what he said, the statement that really I mean, the first time I read that statement of his, I got I got like goosebumps all over my skin when he was saying that, you know, he worked in he worked in a kitchen. So you can imagine the noise in the kitchen of a monastery. It's like there are pans and pots and there's so much noise. And he said, in the clatter of the pots and the pans, he possesses God in the same tranquility as he does when he's on his knees serious. at the blessed sacrament. And it's like, you you naturally feel that when I'm praying in my room on my knees and yes, God is here, God is with me. But in the same that same sense he has of God on his knees, alone in his room, he has with him throughout the day, yeah. regardless of the activity that's yeah. going on. And that is that that's what he describes as prayer. Yeah. Yeah. As I said, when you read the book, your mindset changes. It's like what mm. I was saying earlier at the start that we have in our modern time, this kind of view of how the presence of God ought to be. Um, mm. When Moses said, as you were mentioning about people have felt the um, presence of God, when Moses said, if your presence doesn't go with me, I'm not going. Um, mm. This book gives me a different meaning to that statement. Mm. Uh, it makes me see mm. that, oh, as you said earlier, it's a real tangible, there's a man or a person walking side by side with me at all times. And I think mm. the what I understood from what Brother Lawrence was saying is the way to access that is to to first think about God. So, just so the readers, the listeners mm. understand as well. You see, one what I also liked about this book is that Brother Lawrence wasn't saying this is going to be something that you're going to do automatically. He actually tells us that, yes, there's a level where you can experience his presence, but it's going to take some time for you to get there. 
And he said that the way you get mm. there is by beginning to have thoughts about God. That's the first step Fall in line with what's said in Philippians. Absolutely. Like you said earlier, that mm. although he doesn't quote scripture, he actually, what he's saying is based on scripture. So the beginnings of the process mm. is you think about God. And as you think about God, the presence becomes more real. I don't know, Jeremy, if you, if you. Yeah, no, no, it's true. It's, it's, it's exactly that. You know, psychologists will tell you that what you focus on is it, it mag- magnifies in your mind, and it's scriptural. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind stayed on you. Yeah, yeah. So there's an effect. There's an effect of what what you think about on your life. So if you decide to think of God, just think God is with me. Randomly get used to telling yourself and reminding yourself that. God is actually physically present with me right here, right now. And Brother Lawrence starts, he tells you that, no, in the beginning, it's difficult to keep to keep that in your mind. But with time, as with him, what happened with him, but it became even more difficult to keep that out of his mind because it becomes so real. So, Jeremy, just I want to also kind of major on something Brother Lawrence was saying about the wandering thoughts. So we mentioned that he said that Mm. it's not something that happens straight away, practicing the presence of God. But um, one of the things I was really drawn to in the book was when he mentioned, he didn't use these, these words, but the biblical expression is to cast down thoughts. Um, And he was saying that in your prayer and what you're supposed to be doing is every time you have a thought that is wondering as in different, not about God, actually, like to put it frankly, mm. you're supposed yeah. to capture it. And that is how you you enter and begin the process of practicing the presence of God. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, he actually says that um, when he first began, that was one of his, most of his prayer time was spent trying to cast down yes. um, wandering thoughts. Um, and you get better at it. Yeah. Um, he said, I think one of the things he said was that one way he's found um, to control these wandering thoughts is to not keep his mind, um, not allow his mind to stray too much from God, even when he's not exactly in prayer, so, which I also found very, very applicable especially in our day with yeah. social media and yes. the and internet and and so much going on there's so many things that can distract us and it's not the reason why i find it applicable is because in our particular context it would mean sacrificing maybe television or netflix or even social media to have a, a smaller area or smaller space within which your mind operates and that minimizes distraction yeah and you're able to actually focus on god more and practice his presence so you've kind of led me on to a question i was going to ask you but in asking you the way it's going to be framed is i'm going to present my piece first so i wanted to ask you what part of the book challenged you most and what you just said is is actually the piece that challenged me because 
one thing that he said that was a game, another game changer. I told you guys that this book is full of game changers. He said he lives his life as though it's just him and God in the world. So mm. when I read that, I was like, like, really? Like, <laughs> how do you live your life as though it's just you and God? He said that when he finds that he feels he needs to sing a song of worship, he just lifts up a song of worship, whatever's going on. He yeah. Just... yeah. I, I mean, I love it. I love it so much. You know, that's <laughs> no. one of my favorite, favorite sentences in the whole book. I began to live as if there was none in the world but he and I. Yeah. And it's like, it means he had been so, so captivated and so captured and so enthralled by the reality of God's presence within that everything else faded in comparison. Yeah. That there was no greater reality than knowing that God was with him. And yeah. that was his life. But let me just, before I ask you about the challenge, your challenge, I just want to chip into the audience that he, Brother Lawrence isn't saying that you do away with your whole, you, you do away with the rest of your life. Um, what he said, he, there's a piece, I'm not, I'm, I don't think I'm going to get the exact um, phrase correct um, or right, but he says that for him, his prayer time is his time with God. But then his life, when he's doing the washing of the dishes, that is also to God. So his point is that because everything about his life, whether it is um, washing the dishes, praying, walking along the street, whatever he's doing, all of it is to God. And because all of it is to and for God or done unto God, that is how he's able to practice the presence of God at any time. So just so we're clear, when he's saying he lived his life as though it was only him and God in the world. He's not saying that means you do away with your responsibilities. In fact, for him, that would be probably disrespectful to God because his responsibilities are done unto God. I hope that makes sense to anyone listening. No, and yeah, Jane, to add to that, he actually even says that when he's picking up a straw from the ground, yeah, yeah. he picks it out of love for, for God. God. Yes. <laughs> And every little thing he does in the kitchen, in his work, his daily work, becomes an act of worship yes. to God. Yeah. He just commits everything he does to God. Yeah. And, and that way, God is the object and the love, loving God becomes the end goal for every single yes. action he, yes. yeah. he, he does. Yeah. Uh, you see, you brought up another key piece, right? I just remember this. <laughs> because you yeah. mentioned um, loving God is the end. There's a piece where he talks about routines and he says that one of the problems that he's had with reading books about the presence of God and even a, a challenge he had in the monastery is that there were so many routines where people forget that the routine is to get to God. And because he's got to God, mm, he doesn't need mm. to follow any of those other routines. Again, that was another challenge to me. <laughs> he actually... He actually said his superiors would give them special time for prayer. He said he didn't need that. He said because <laughs> the time, he said his time of business was no different to him for his, um, from his time of prayer. It's a different That's game. how much he was, how constant, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was constantly aware of God. Wow. Praying without season. Um, yeah. Do you want to mention your challenge? Because I've said a lot about mine. Or, challenge, um, challenge. Yeah. Okay. So um, I, I, I think, hmm. 
at a point in the book, he talks about suffering. Oh, yes. And he yes. talks about how suffering even becomes pleasant and desirable because of the greater awareness of God that comes with it. And that even in your suffering, he said, I think there's a particular statement that is is so profound. I think he says something to the effect of he would rather suffer and be with God than have everything altogether. Something yeah. something to that effect. I wish I could find the particular the particular phrase for you. Got it. Go for it. So he says, um, he says, pains and sufferings would be a paradise to me while I should suffer with my God. And the greatest pleasures would be held to me if I could relish them without him. Wow. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and then at another point he says, how sweet it is to suffer with God. Yeah. Um, that, that, that book is loaded. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. It, it just speaks to how, how highly he esteemed the presence of God. Yeah. That no price was too high for him to pay just to hold on to that sense and awareness of God's presence with him at all times. I think he actually says that he's not one of the things that has calmed his anxieties about life is that the pleasures he's experienced in the presence of God cannot compare to actual physical pleasures that people talk about. And then the pains he's experienced in the spiritual state as well cannot compare to pains that other people describe in life. So the spiritual life and his life with God was a greater reality he was living in, in a in a in a different reality that he engaged with, and it became his life. Yeah, I mean, spiritual things were 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 realer to him than physical things. Look, Jeremy, you reminded me of two things, right? <laughs> totally different tangents. <laughs> So the first one was when you spoke about anxieties and he, he said something that was, it was just impossible when he said how he's able to overcome anxieties or problems. Oh, I'm even thinking of a third thing. Uh, he said that when he's not right with God or when he doesn't see something well in the world, what he does is he says, I'm sorry, Lord. And then he lets it go. It doesn't become a burden to him. What was yeah. really good for me? So, and and when he prays about something in the world that is amiss, he says, once he's prayed, that's it. He doesn't return to it because for him, it's given to God. And whatever the outcome is, it is for God to decide. And then I was, it just made me reflect on the fact it's complex because we're supposed to pray without season. And we also know that Christ um, gave the parable of the widow who repeatedly prayed but maybe that prayer only relates to the holy spirit but we've made it uh, include mm. all other things but what i think was most sh striking to me to come back to what i'm saying rather than going off on another tangent is often when i pray i still have that anxiety or that thing that is god gonna actually do it or what's the outcome but what he was saying is that actually when you pray for forgiveness, when you pray about a problem, that's it. It's no longer your responsibility. You're just supposed to let it go to God. And that that was a, yeah. a challenge for me to, it's a challenge for me to try and mm. accept and move on in my faith in that way. 
Yeah, um, I think that was also one of the biggest takeaways for me from the book is the amount of trust yes. he had in God. Yeah. Because he said he sees, he doesn't trouble himself too much about all the evil in his world because no. he knows that God can remedy it anytime he wants. Yeah. Um, he said anytime he finds that he has to to um display or exhibit a virtue, he just turns to God and says, God, I can only do this if you help me to do it. And if you don't? And if he fails, and if you don't, I can't do it. Then that's it. And, then, and if he fails, and if he fails in anything he's supposed to do, he tells God something similar. He tells God that, well, I won't do otherwise unless you help me. Yes. This is like my natural self. My natural <laughs> way is to err. So I need your grace to help me. And that's it. And I feel that that level of trust and, yeah. and resignation to God, I think is is something that really, really transformed the way I thought about God even mm. and even the way I thought about how God thinks. Yeah. Because part of what gives us anxiety in prayer is that we think for God. Mm -hmm. We think that maybe because of our experiences with human beings, we expect God to be angry with us, for instance, after yes. we sin. Yes. Even yeah. after we say sorry. Because we think for him. We think mm -hmm. we think that he's like us. But then Brother Lawrence describes God the way God has described himself. When God says that, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed his sins, it's like that's he takes it as phrase value. Yes. I've confessed the sin. And in fact, I'm gone ahead to tell God that this is what I'm prone to do normally if you don't help me not to do it. It's a game changer I, I, book. Yeah. 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 No, no, 100%. 100%. And I was reminded again on something else that you said about, um, I'm saying all these things, readers, so you understand how what this book is. They're, they're, it's a lot. But there, there's something he said, another challenging piece for me was, he said, when we consider our state, when somebody does malice to us or does something bad, because we know how unworthy we are in the sight of God, we actually ask ourselves, why didn't they do anything worse? Why was the person... <laughs> We should never be upset by any hurt that people inflict on us because actually they should have done worse. Now, I mean, when I read it, I had to think for a bit because. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, I mean, I, the best way I can describe it is that he was living in a different reality. Yeah. yeah. Having, so the way he processed things were different because he always processed. He, so, he, so he talks about being conscious of God with you at all times. And he says that he does he does his best to do nothing or think nothing or say nothing that would displease God. Because God is with me at all times. Mm -hmm. He can hear my thoughts. He hears everything I say. He sees everything I, I do. So that, that also puts, and I think it's a way of living the Christian life. Like, you know, in Genesis 17, 1, God appears to Abraham and says, walk before me and be perfect. Mm. And I don't think he's saying be perfect as in you have the ability to be perfect or be perfect. But I believe that scripture is saying that by walking before me, you become perfect. Oh, wow. That's deep. And, and I think that's what Brother Lawrence's life was. Because when you read the comments in the book, yeah, um, you hear people say that even his his presence and his countenance yeah. was calming. It had a calming effect. Yeah. 
and that they even they even spoke about a glow that he had on his face and it's like that effect of being with with Jesus or being in the presence of Jesus and aware of the presence of Jesus it, it comes on you you know that saying that you're the average of the five people you spend most time yeah, with yeah yeah I imagine those one of those five people was it's God. God. Then it's a game changer. I keep using that phrase. It, but it changes it's, everything. It's it's <laughs> it, it, it really is. It really is. And you know the way we talk about this book, you would think is a really big book. No, no, no. It's a hundred pages. A really? No, it's even sixty pages. No, it, even it's like 60, yeah. tiny. It's yeah. a tiny book. Yeah. It's sixty pages yeah. of A five size. Um, mm. The volume that I have, the, the copy I have, has a sef- uh, another book in it, the Spiritual Maximums of Brother Lawrence. But mm. the actual practice yeah. in the presence of God is literally sixty pages of A five. So, mm. so it's very easy read. You can read it in an afternoon, but it, it, your life will definitely be impacted. Jeremy, you know, one of the things I wanted to do with this podcast is. You know, with Christianity, we only tend to talk about the good things, right? So I also wanted to not make this just be a book um, review show where we don't bring out anything that we don't, which may be a bit controversial. So I just wanted to ask you, do you think or there are any controversial like, bits of the book that people in the global church may find controversial or didn't quite sit with you correctly? Well, you know, I feel that so even the way and the timing of this book in my life was so, I believe, ordained by God that there was nothing in it that really countered my beliefs. If anything, they kind of rather shaped them and enhanced them. It was really God who brought this book into my life through a friend, actually. But I do see things in the book and comments that Brother Lawrence made that may not rub so well on others. Mm, yeah, yeah. For instance, he talks about this simple attention to God being what constitutes his prayer. That was the entirety of his prayer mm-hmm. life. Whereas you have other people who believe that prayer should be a certain structured in a certain way. There's praying in tongues. There's routines and repetitive prayers there there are other denominations that see prayer in a different way yeah and would not be i can't imagine they'll be satisfied by someone saying i just keep my mind on god and no, and the fact that he's with me at all times and that's my prayer life yeah 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 i can see that it won't sit well with everybody mm. yeah so jeremy um before we wind up any other things that we've not mentioned in the book that you think the audience needs to know about about the book? About the book, um, hmm. anything else? I'd really that we've tell not everyone to just. <laughs> I think even though it says um, it's practicing the presence of God, and it's really, it's really good to read it because, as Jean said, it wasn't written to the general public was conversations that were recorded. So it's, there's a certain authenticity that's yeah. very uncommon. And you follow his journey because he tells you about so many challenges he had. Um, he tells you about, he, I think at the point, he even talks about how he felt that he should be damned um, to hell. But then 
he just resolved that um, he would just decide to live in a way that everything he does, the lo loving God would be the end of everything he does. And that's how he decided to live his life. And that's how he overcame that. Um, and he, he goes through different challenges he's, he faced along learning and while he was learning to practice the presence of God and how he overcame those. So I think that by his journey, we have a sort of finished or more finished product that we can apply. Okay. And I, I really would like everyone to read this book. Yeah. And try it, apply it. Yeah. I mean, I it's like you said throughout the podcast. It is it is a game no. it game changer. It changes your prayer life. It changes it changes how how you live. Your perspective, I mean, everything, everything is different. Perspective, everything changes. Everything changes. Yeah. It's one of those those books. And I'm glad that we we've done it. I mean, we've wanted to record this for a while, so I'm glad that we've done it. And it's going to be the pod first episode of the year. It's a good way for the community that listens to this to kind of set their year um, going forward, right? Like in the presence of God. Like that's there's no better way to start the year. But Jeremy, we need to round up before we go though. I just want to ask you um, three questions that I ask everybody um, that comes on the podcast because it's about books. So I wanted to ask you firstly, do you have a favorite Christian author? Mm, no, I have okay. favorite Christian books. Okay. I can't All pick right. one person. No. That's fine. So then do you want to tell no. that leads me on nicely to my next question? Do you have three other books that you want to recommend to the audience that are not practicing defense of God? Three other books. A short and easy method of prayer by Madame Guillon. Okay. Um, I would highly recommend. Um, it's also similar to this in many ways. I would say Mere Christianity, but you've done a podcast on this already. Yeah, I get another um, one. Yeah. Highly recommend. Yep. And then My All for Him by Basilia Schlenk. I've not heard of that. I'll, I'll recommend that. Okay, interesting. It's also a different, different book. Okay, <laughs> I'll check it out. And the last question is about your reading habit. So we are all struggle to read more. Do you have mm. any quick tips that you want to give to the audience about how you're able to get free books? Um, if you are able to get free books, because not everybody, people struggle with Well, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's something I learned recently and I'm still trying to accept, but I think that don't feel guilty about reading sections of books and not reading the entire book. I, I think sometimes we feel that once you start a book, you have to read it from cover to cover. But um, there are, there are so many books that have been published. There's so much reading you can do. If there's a particular chapter of a particular book you feel is most relevant to you and most impactful to you, read that chapter. If nothing else in the book really resonates with you, you can put the book down. Don't feel guilty about that. Um, yeah, and I'll say that don't don't feel bad if you haven't read in a long time. You can always pick it up again. That's true. That's true. Well, Jeremy, it's been great. Thanks so much for spending this time with us. Um, and yeah, um, thanks for having me. No problem. Always a pleasure. And um, I'm sure we'll speak soon. Thanks. Bye. Well, as I kept saying throughout the podcast, the book is a complete and utter game changer. I do hope you take the time to read it this year. I have to apologize because I kept calling it practicing the presence of God. 
the correct title is The Practice of the Presence of God. As ever, all the links to the books that Jeremy mentioned and this one will be on my website. You can find them at www.jeancabasomi.com slash podcasts. That's www.jeancabasomi.com slash podcasts. If you like this episode, could I please encourage you to do four things? Firstly, hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. Rate and review this podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts, whether it's Apple, Spotify, Google, or Podcast Addict, or Audible, or somewhere else. It really helps the algorithms get the podcast into the hands of other potential listeners. And lastly, can I ask you to share this podcast with anyone who might be interested in hearing about good Christian books? Well, that's all from me. Thanks for listening. God willing, I shall be back in your ears in the first week of February. Until then, keep reading and seeking the Lord. God bless. Bye.